Hello, and welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast for those curious about the non-finance aspects or the human side of working in accounting and finance. I'm Susan Nicriazon, and while I believe there is beauty in balancing a set of financial statements, the intricacies that underpin the workings are wondrous. The real beauty for me is in working with people. The intricacies that underpin our workings are wondrous too. And not one particular combination of input or formula will ever generate the same result. Join me and my guests as we place a lens on some of these wondrous intricacies that make us unique. And as we share insights, knowledge and strategies to inspire your life beyond the numbers. I'm joined today by Michelle here. Michelle, you're welcome. Thank you very much, Susan. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So I first came across Michelle when she did this fantastic post on LinkedIn about how you were proud to be an accountant. So maybe you tell us a little bit about what sparked that, Michelle. Well, I, I suppose one morning I just woke up and thought, you know, I feel really glad that um, I chose accountancy as my profession. And maybe that sounds a bit odd to people, but, you know, I just felt really grateful and glad that, you know, I'd chosen that profession. And when I look back, um, bearing in mind that I'm, I'm unemployed at the moment, so I'm at a bit of a crossroads in, in my life. So there's a lot of self-reflection going on. And... Um, but I just sort of looked back and thought, you know, I've done really well. I've, I've, I've enjoyed my career. It's given me so many opportunities. I've, I've managed to become a general manager of a limited company. I'm really pleased and proud and glad um, and thankful, really. So, yeah, that's where it came from. I just woke up and had those thoughts in my head. And so I just put them on onto LinkedIn. <laughs> Well, it's cool. And I think it got great reactions. Looking back, did you always want to be an accountant? No. <laughs> um, I think many people will say the same thing. I sort of fell into it. And I think I knew I wanted to work in business. I did a BTEC National Diploma in Business and Finance. And during that course, we did a three-week uh, work experience. And I was placed in a practice for three weeks and at the end of that three weeks they offered me a job at the end of my college course so I took it you know no interview no no searching for jobs at the end of my college course so it, it was great it fell in my lap so um I started working there they put me on ACCA day release first I have to say I thought I'm never going to pass these exams they're far too hard for me I'm never going to be able to become an accountant I'm just not that clever is, is what I, I first thought when I when I first started on that journey. But, you know, after I'd passed one exam, I thought, hey, oh my God, I can do this. And I actually enjoyed it. And I enjoyed, you know, learning about all the different subjects, you know, economics and business law and you do maths, you do IT and you do all of these different subjects. It's not just finance. And uh, if I can just add now that I am not a mathematician, um, and um, and I think many people sort of have a misconception about accountants being really good with numbers and you know love to add up. Well, that's not me at all. For me, it's never been about adding up numbers. It's always been about reading the numbers and understanding them 
and for the numbers to tell me a story about a business and understanding the business and that's where it's always been for me and I, I think a lot of people that will resonate with them to be honest I, I always like numbers but hated math <laughs> And, and it is about the, the numbers telling a story, isn't it? And the view, like you said, all these different subjects give you this view of a business and the workings of a business and the intricate understanding of everything that goes into running a business. And a lot of people outside of finance underestimate that. Yes, they do. Yeah. How I mean, do we change it, that? I don't know. Um... I don't know how you change that. I just know that, you know, it, uh, in a business, everything causes a trans financial transaction in a business and it all goes through finance. So I could, as a general manager or as financial controller, FD, uh, whatever position, I could look at the cash flow and I could see exactly what's going on in the whole business. So I know exactly what's going on in marketing. I know what's going on in, in engineering. Um, I even know what's, what prospects uh, they're looking at in sales because I can see it on their expenses, where, you know, which customers they're going to, the mileage, you know, who they're taking for dinner. I, I know un and understand everything that's going on in a business just by looking at the cash flow in detail. And, and that is a brilliant understanding to have, really. Um, it's, it's like the window to a business. I like that, the window to a business. It is, isn't it? It is, yeah. So nothing can happen in the business without the finance people knowing about it. But how do the others in the business feel about that? Um, I, don't, I think they underestimate it, don't they? I think a lot of other departments probably underestimate the, the knowledge and the influence that the finance department have, really. And quite often it would be, you know, the finance people would be doing the month end accounts and say, oh, what's going on there? And then go back to them and they go, oh, oh, you found out that I did X and X and X. <laughs> or I did this transaction with the stock <laughs> because now you're asking me about it. But yeah, there's, there's very little that goes on in a business that doesn't affect the finance department. And the quicker the other departments realise that, the better, in my opinion. Yeah, what you even said there about being found out, for example, yeah. if they flipped that and thought, well, how might I best plan my month yes. and get finance to help me? Oh, absolutely. If you've got finance on your side, oh my God, you can do, you can do so much more with your yeah. department because finance can help you in so many ways. I mean, I had great people working for me that just, um, they, their understanding of the business was fantastic as well because they understood the financial um, transactions behind what they did. And so if you engage with them and, and get their, you know, cooperation and got them on board with what you wanted to achieve, you know, you could achieve so much more mm. and improve your, your department's performance mm. um, considerably. Mm. So yeah. Get, your, get buy in from finance immediately. Absolutely. But it's also how do finance influence that buy in, I think? Because it works both ways, doesn't it, Michelle? It does. We, we, we're there and we're willing to help, but the others have their defenses up, perhaps. Yes. Now, I know you transitioned to an MD role. Yeah, I did, yeah. So 
was that something you were able to influence on behalf of finance more from that perspective? It's it's a it's a bit difficult because it's hard now looking back to see a, a line in the sands. There was a line in the sands where I became general manager, but I think because I've been very so involved in the business and the lead up to that, I've been deputy general manager for three years before that. But actually, was there a huge change from day one? I'm not. I felt there was at the time. Actually, in terms of what the role involved, there were no surprises there. I, I kind of already knew what the role involved. I was always apprehensive that there was more to it than I actually realised, and I, you know, I was very wary that oh, you know, I'm going to be doing more of something else that I don't know about. But and there's always other things that come along, you know, that you know, customer-related uh, issues that that come along that perhaps I wouldn't have been so involved in before. But actually, it was quite a morph into general manager. When I look back now, it wasn't a straightforward, you know, you were FD one day and you were general manager and FD. So I was still FD even when I was general manager. So I, I didn't backfill my role as FD. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't sort of think that it was a massive change. But I suppose that depends on how involved you've been in the business prior to the transition, really. So it was quite a natural transition. Which sounds great. Did you have the buy-in of the business when you became general manager? Yeah, I think I think I, I did. I must have done because, you know, we just worked as a team. You know, it was, um, it was quite nice. And, you know, and I don't mean the detrimental to the to the previous general manager in any way at all but i think because he'd been general manager for 10 years it was a chance for a change and to do things differently and to review things in a different way and we just got on with doing that so mm -hmm. as a team and as a management team it was just about changing things doing things differently in a different way looking at things differently i don't recall any particular resistance it was just all about working together and getting everyone's sort of feeding and cooperation really collaboration on on how we were going to take it forward and, and what we wanted it to look like going forward um and i have to say i, I didn't expect to en enjoy that process as much as i did and and i think because you're suddenly in a position where you can make the decisions and make impactful decisions immediately that's actually quite liberating and that was fantastic i did enjoy that uh, element of it in the end as well i probably thought the role was going to weigh down on me and be very heavy and i didn't expect to sort of feel you know empowered by it as much as i as i was alive yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah suddenly you're you can put your ideas into action immediately you know you didn't have to go through a process of convincing other people and that this is the way forward you could just collaborate with people and say right we're going to do this and 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 everyone around the table to sort of say yes you know this is what we think we need to do and and that's the way we went you know Brilliant. it's quite an easy process you started out in finance you transitioned nicely naturally into the general manager role was there a point in your career where perhaps you knew that working with people was as important as working with the numbers? I can't recall a particular 
point in time, I, I think it's always been people and numbers, if I'm honest, because, um, yeah, it's very isolating to just sit and do numbers. And um, it's always about talking to people about those numbers, sharing those numbers, whether it be to stakeholders or your senior management team, or even your department heads uh, about how they're doing. You know, so it's never really been just numbers for numbers sake. Otherwise, what's the point? <laughs> totally. If no one's gonna look at them if they're not for people to review and understand and take action on them, what's the point of doing them? I suppose there's a personality side as well though, isn't there? You know, yeah. in a way maybe the people side came naturally to you too, but some of us might have to work harder at that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying that maybe, you know, in my younger years, maybe I, it didn't come as naturally to me. But I think, you know, over time and as your roles in, you know, evolve into more management accounting and as you do more reporting um, at that stage, you, you it does evolve and it does become more about the people. I, I do like the fact that I'm very down to earth with the numbers, so I will simplify them. And, you know, I remember going, when I first started at, at Kern, you know, explaining to the senior management team what the numbers meant in a very uh, basic way, because what's the point in baffling them with accountancy speak or, you know, all you need is for them to understand what you're putting in front of them. But I, I do like to be very straightforward and, and that's one of my values really is uh, straightforward talking. How about managing your own work-life balance then? Because there was a big responsibility running a company. I think going into that role, I felt it was a very pressured role. But because I've got children, it was never going to consume my whole life. Because it, it can't. You know, my, my daughter will literally pull my chair away from my laptop. <laughs> At half past five, she'd be watching the clock saying, Mummy, at half past five, your laptop's closing. She'll literally drag my chair away. So I think when you've got children, you can't, you can't let it encroach. You're not allowed to let it encroach your, your personal time. So I kind of knew that was never going to happen to me. And I think sometimes when you've got a limited amount of time, you just are better at time management. And it goes back to the days where I had to work part-time as an accountant, where I was only working three days a week. And so you would do full-time productivity in three days because that's all you had. So you had to squeeze in all of that work into three days. And I think it's the same. If you, if you have um, you know, a never-ending amount of time, then it will take you hours. But if you have a set amount of time each day, then you will be more productive because you, don't, you can't go over that, that time period. Mm. That's my personal view. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm sure a lot of people will relate to that. But then there's always a crisis. If there's a crisis, it's different. Or if there's a particular peak in reporting, you know, we're going to Switzerland, you know, the accounts don't come out until Wednesday. We're going to Switzerland on Monday. So you've only got Thursday, Friday to do all of your reporting presentations. And yeah, you might have to finish it off over the weekend or in a couple of evenings. You know, that, that is going to happen from time to time. Um, but it, it shouldn't be a daily occurrence. I, I don't believe that that's sustainable long term. And I, and I don't just say that for myself. I say that for all of my staff. I wouldn't expect any of my staff to have to work long hours. Um, if they are, then there's something wrong.
Mm. There's either something wrong with their time management or there's something wrong with the job role and we need more people or we need to reallocate the workload. Um, but yeah, that's that's not sustainable going forwards. Mm. And then it's always also important to take that break. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've just posted out the power of uh, taking a break because, you know, you just feel so much more energised and, and much more productive, I think, once you've uh, had some time away. Some people do sort of feel like, oh, you know, we're in a company's in a really bad state, so I can't take a break. I've got to keep going, keep going, keep going. But actually, you're not as productive if you haven't had a break. Everybody needs a break. You do need time away. And it's trying to get that balance right. And, you know, I think it's important. Everybody needs a break. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's often crises that we have to deal with throughout yes. our working lives. But what are the kind of pointers you might give an FD yeah. to, to be able to highlight the most important things for an MD to focus on during a crisis period for an organisation? Um, so advice I'd give an FD um, trying to sort of assist an MD during a crisis is, is really to sort of take away some of the burden, which would be... Uh, Number one, I think, is always the cash flow, because in a crisis, cash flow can quickly <clears throat> become a crisis in itself. And it does pull everyone's attention, particularly the MD and all the senior managers, you know, and, and it causes so much anxiety if it's looking really bad. So good management of cash flow and avoiding those, you know, really difficult times where cash flow is going to pinch basically, you know, really good cash flow management so that it doesn't detract everyone's attention away from normal business and normal business that will be progressing and, you know, and, and giving growth to the business. So other projects will suffer as a result of cash flow because cash flow will always trump everything else and detract, detract all of the attention away. So that's my number one tip. Secondly, to have quick financial reporting, up-to-date um, information so that the MD's got, you know, up-to-date information at hand, timely, so he can use that to make decisions, you know, what's doing well, what isn't doing well, what, where are the margins, you know, where have we got problems, where have we got costs uh, that are out of control, where have we got inefficiencies, to be able to do all of that. Uh, very quickly so that we can, so that you can quickly impact the next months and the months going forward. And then thirdly, I think a role of the FD, you know, and I'm taking this from my own experience, is to be there to support the MD in terms of, you know, it, maybe it's just talking over ideas, you know, so that the MD doesn't feel that they're alone. It can be quite an isolating position to be in. And the, the MD can feel that, you know, they have to take the burden and strain of everything themselves on their own shoulders. And actually, it's, I think it's really good for the FD to stand there and say, actually, no, share some of that burden. We can talk about it together. What can I do to help? So those would be my three main top tips, really. It's absolutely sound advice. And it's interesting you say that I was speaking to a, an MD yesterday who was exactly feeling that loneliness mm. and for them their CFO is not supporting them and yeah. their the frustration and the isolation was really really incredible yeah I think 
an MD can do it to themselves as well, because you can become quite insular with that feeling that you are responsible solely and not wanting to share that burden. And other things can go on at group level or or wherever, and those things could be private that you can't then share with your team. And that can make it difficult as well. So there can be situations where you can't share with your team, but as an MD, I think wherever possible, you should bring your team to support you and delegate and <clears throat> almost sort of, you know, just asking for meetings and brainstorming. And I would cascade that down to the, to the rest of the business because at times we asked the staff on the shop floor to brainstorm, you know, cost cutting measures. But that also, it's shouldering the burden from senior management from trying to think of everything. You can't think of everything. And, and the people on the shop floor, they're just as creative and just as knowledgeable about business, if not more knowledgeable. Some of them have been there for absolutely donkey years. Um, and some things are really clearly obvious to them that might not be as obvious to us. They have a different perspective. So I think wherever possible in an MD position, if you can share the load, then you're going to be in a much better position. And it stops that isolation and just being aware of it, the fact that you don't have to be alone. You shouldn't feel alone, really. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, how it, it happens, whether it's people do it to themselves <laughs> or... Yeah, that's fascinating, actually. I think it's probably a combination of both. I think because you kind of feel like you're the top person, you're the leader, so you should have all the answers, you should make all the decisions. But that's unrealistic long term, that you would have all the answers to every situation. It's just not going to happen, is it? And it's, it's about being vulnerable, isn't it? By saying, actually, I really can't think of a way to, to get out of this particular situation. I, you know, can you help and, and asking for help as well. And I think naturally we see leaders as people who can't be vulnerable and can't ask for help, but actually it makes a stronger leader to ask for help. Your senior management team probably would be absolutely delighted to be asked for help <laughs> and to, to be asked their opinions and to be, you know, asked for their ideas and to be asked to be creative and likewise with your other employees further down the chain mm. i think to bring them in actually you know gets their buy-in to, to changes in the business and gets them thinking like you which which sort of shortens the gap between the two doesn't it because i think it's very easy sometimes to sit somewhere else in the business and say oh they should be doing this they should be doing that but actually, if you bring them into the, some of the decisions that are being made or some of the problems and ask their opinions, and actually they might start to realise that actually it's not a straightforward problem, is it? It's quite difficult to, to resolve that. And then you, you get a bit more buy-in, really, from your employees. Mm. Yeah. And I suppose there's also an onus on the, the other members of the senior management team mm. to maybe rally together and go to the MD and say, we're here, share. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, who would want to be an MD of a company where you aren't being supported by your senior management team? I mean, that's the whole point of senior management team, yeah. surely, yeah. is to have a group of people that have the same objective, that collaborate together. You know, you all have your different skill sets and to pull all of those different skill sets together, well, you're just much more powerful 
as a group than any one person, including the general manager. So why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you? Well, it, it kind of reminds me again of stereotypes. <laughs> yeah. You know, we've talked before about accountants and the stereotype and how, yeah. you know, we're kind of under the weight of that a little bit. But it's the same for leaders. You've just said it really yes. nicely, I think, is there a, they, there's a stereotype about what we think a leader should do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah. it's nonsense, like all stereotypes. <laughs> yeah, but I, not that long ago, I, I probably believed in that stereotype. And it's you know, taken myself quite a long time to sort of realise that you know, that stereotype of a leader isn't necessarily um, the right kind of leader. And it certainly doesn't fit my personality. And there are other types of leaders that might work a little bit better, more collaboratively. There are different styles of leadership. And um, I suppose we all lean towards a different type. Yeah, like there are different styles of accountants. One of the things in that original LinkedIn post we talked about, Michelle, was yeah. and you made an offer to mentor more junior accountants who would like a mentor. How has that worked out? Have you had some take up? Yeah, I was inundated with people asking me <laughs> to mentor them. I, and I was overwhelmed, I have to say, with the response with people saying, oh, I'd love for you to mentor me. Um, some of the things people wrote were lovely they like I really admire the career that you've had and I'd really like to have that for myself and and can you help me and you know it is overwhelming I have to say and humbling as well when when you see people reaching out to you and asking you for help um unfortunately obviously I couldn't take everyone up on on the mentoring because there was over 20 but I did take on four which to be fair, you know, only takes about two hours a month of my time, which is, you know, not a significant amount of time. But, you know, it's really valuable, I think, for not just the men mentee, but, you know, also the mentor, you get something out of it as well, because it makes you realise the journey that you've been on, because you, you just plough forwards, don't you, in your working life and in your career, and you very often don't look back at your humble beginnings and where you started and the challenges that you had it builds your confidence to be able to build their confidence and it's it's really nice to be able to sort of look at them and help them with their successes and when they then achieve something like a new job like um coming out of a bad situation or improving their situation at, at work from your knowledge that you've just acquired over the years you know it, it's really quite satisfying to sort of be able to sort of reciprocate some of you know play forward some of the goodwill really and help someone else along along the journey sort of in succession to yourself really mm. and bring up the next generation of accountants so yeah I think that's a love it's a nice thing to do and I, I personally think that everyone who's a professional in any industry or uh, in any you know uh, profession should take up mentoring because it's a really rewarding thing to do brilliant and are they around the world michelle or are they they UK? are they are they are yes i've got one in india and um, one in london one in portsmouth and one in manchester so yeah they're fairly well spread out so yeah it's interesting that's fascinating isn't it you know it's it's not it doesn't have to be your hometown or your home oh, no. business or anything 
you can reach anyone. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the people that were asking me to mentor them, they were from all over the world. So, so that's, that's brilliant. I mean, the Italian uh, girl who lives in London, she's got um, a degree in international politics. Um, she's only been in the UK for six years. She's now doing ACPA. You know, and you just think, oh my God, wow, <laughs> you know, that's amazing. <laughs> you know, it's just sort of, she's working in a second language. It, you know, it's such a skill. You know, I take my hats off to people who come to the UK um, and work in accountancy. I mean, that's brilliant, isn't it? it must be, they must be so, so clever to be Absolutely. able to do that. And Absolutely. to do our exams, uh, to study here. You know the social differences the cultural differences you know all of those issues and they've overcome them you know i'll take my hats off to them oh yeah i mean i suppose every one of us have stories yeah. you know we've yes. all overcome things and i think that's the beauty actually of the mentoring is yes you you you're also learning from yeah. other people like you said and that makes the experience way richer Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love to hear, you know, what their stories are and where they've come from and how they're doing and yeah, what challenges they're facing. I've got one, one as well, where she's just got challenged with her manager not wanting to sort of relinquish work to her, you know, and you know, all the sort of dynamics around what could be causing that. And obviously with my experience, I could kind of understand what might be going on there and, and, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to help them along that journey, really, and help them with those sort of situations. And I think it's also fantastic that they knew to ask for it. Yes. Yeah, I never would have thought to do that. But then we didn't have LinkedIn then. I'm <laughs> my age now. <laughs> I'm right up there with you, if not ahead. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, Michelle, look, thank you so much for sharing your story. You're welcome. And if people want to connect with you, yeah. they can find you over on LinkedIn, I'm sure. Yeah, they can. They can find me, um, Michelle, here, FCCA. And also my email address is here, heer.michelle at gmail.com. Um, so just before we go, I was just going to say I'm currently looking at becoming a non-executive director. So I'm just on the beginnings of that journey. At the moment. Brilliant. And I'm also thinking about setting up my own business as well. So Brilliant. watch this space. So um, you never know, in a couple of months' time, I might be telling you about my new consultancy. We'll have you back to chat some more. That would be fantastic. Thank you very, very much, Susan. <laughs> and I'm sorry, because I should have asked you what was ahead. <laughs> but thank you for letting us know, Michelle. And I wish you all the best with what's ahead. And I'm sure it'll be fantastic. And let's stay in touch. Yeah, definitely. That'd be lovely. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening today. And if you enjoyed our exploration of life beyond the numbers, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with others who might also be curious about their own life beyond the numbers.